This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As the January 6th committee finds itself racing against a ticking clock, investigators are widening their net to ensnare Trump's most dangerous allies, a crisscrossing network of lunatics and far-right conspiracy mongers bent on overturning the election for their emperor king. The committee's attention has now turned to the so-called command center set up inside the Willard Hotel across the street from the White House. What unfolded there in the hours before the Capitol riot has become a prime focus of the committee as the panel intensifies its scrutiny into whether there was any coordination or tie between those pushing a legal strategy to overturn the election results and those who stormed the Capitol that day as Congress met to count the electoral votes to formalize President Biden's victory. Some subpoenas in this latest batch focus on the reported use of the Willard Hotel near the White House as a so-called command center for staging the effort to keep Trump in power. It's in the Woodward and Costa book called Peril. This week, the committee issued subpoenas to several of Trump's advisors who gathered there, including General Michael Flynn, John Eastman, and Bernard Carrick, and communications with Rudy Giuliani and Roger Stone among the material investigators have demanded from the former president, who is now stonewalling the inquiry despite suffering a bruising loss in the courts over his right to assert executive privilege and withhold key documents from the January 6th committee. These are individuals who were heavily involved in trying to overturn the election, uh, being involved in the so-called war rooms at the uh, Willard Hotel, and uh, we need to find out everything they said and did. On Tuesday, the committee also announced 10 new subpoenas that seemed to expand the aperture of the inquiry even further, seeking information from top officials in Mr. Trump's White House, including the evil fucking Steve Miller, Keith Kellogg, the National Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, Johnny McEntee, the former President's personal chief, and others. In the past two days alone, the panel has nearly doubled the number of subpoenas it has issued, bringing the total now to 35. You have a real focus now on people who are in physical proximity to the President on the day of the events in question. Um, maybe not necessarily people who are engaged in substantive discussions with him about those events, but who would have seen others engaged in those discussions, who could testify about what they saw the president doing or who he might have been talking to or, or other interactions that he might have had. Those are essential pieces of evidence. It's very important for investigators to look beyond kind of the center main players of the of the conspiracy or the alleged conspiracy that they're looking into and look to those folks who may provide really important corroborative evidence around the edges of that group. If Trump wasn't shitting in his fucking pants before this, he sure is now. In recent weeks, the committee has hired new investigators, poured over thousands of documents, and heard privately from a stream of voluntary witnesses, from rally planners and former Trump officials, to the rioters themselves. Basically, Trump's allies are beginning to turn on him and provide key documents and testimony. 
At the same time, the committee is encircling the former president and targeting the core group of fucking lunatics and carpetbaggers who traffic the MAGA conspiracy and profit off the big lie. In the first couple months of the committee, they felt like they were sort of building the plane as they were flying. And now they feel like they have their whole team in place. They have a strategy. They have um, different assignments for different investigators, and they're really getting moving now. And I think you're seeing that this week with this latest round of subpoenas. The panel has learned details about how Stop the Steel rally fucking lied to illegally obtain permits from the Capitol Police to hold rallies near the Capitol. How Mr. Trump and White House officials coordinated with organizers of the rally whose attendees would later storm the Capitol. And how deeply Mr. Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was involved in pushing false claims of widespread election fraud. According to the New York Times, investigators have divided themselves into color-coded teams to pursue several avenues of inquiry. They are looking into, first, the money trail. Investigators are scrutinizing the groups that funded the protests that preceded the violence, which involved rioters from at least 44 states and promoted and spread lies online that helped radicalize the crowd. Second, planning meetings. The panel is pressing for answers about gatherings at the Willard and other Washington hotels where Mr. Trump's allies who were involved in the effort to overturn the election, including fucking Stephen K. Bannon, Mr. Giuliani, and Mr. Eastman, met in the hours before the riot. And third, foreknowledge of violence. The most difficult piece of the investigation involves unearthing evidence that Mr. Trump or anyone in his inner circle had foreknowledge that violence was a possibility on January 6th and whether they took any steps to either encourage or discourage the storming of the Capitol. Steve Bannon, who the House voted to hold in criminal contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena from the committee, predicted on his podcast the day before the riot that all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, okay? It's going to be quite extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. The war room, a posse. You have made this happen, and tomorrow it's game day. President Trump's presidency. His first term's ending with action, and his second term's going to start with a bang, okay? That we can guarantee you. Um, and so the fight's in. This is a huge weekend. There's so much going on behind the scenes. A massive fight. We're heading towards a historic day, the 6th of June. Massive rally. There's a lot happening this week. People are getting revved up. People are getting fired up. People are getting madder, as they should. You and I happened to be on a call last night, and you were walking people through. It was so brilliant. Could you just walk people through what the framework is for this week? A lot of tough hombres down there. I saw some of them last night when we had meetings down there close there. Came out last night. Let's say they were still up and going. They were still they were still reviewing uh, their plans for the day at like 1 and 2 in the morning. We've helped provide the information. I think that people are jacked up. We're all going to converge on that point on the 6th. We're all going to converge there. We just got to impose our will. It's like in football. You have to impose your will on the opposition. We're hurtling towards 
an historic event on January 6th. But the Willard was only one hub of Trump's activity before the January 6th riot, when members of the former president's inner circle also congregated at the nearby Trump International and other hotels to plan their bid to invalidate the election results. Mr. Flynn was also present at the Trump International Hotel on January 5th for a meeting that included about 15 people, where the discussion centered on how to put pressure on more members of Congress to object to the Electoral College results, according to one attendee, Charles Herbster, a Republican candidate for governor of Nebraska. Among those in attendance, according to Mr. Herbster, were Mr. Trump's sons Eric and Don Jr., Rudy Giuliani, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, the Trump advisors Peter Navarro, Corey fucking Lewandowski, and jerk-off David Bossy, as well as Mike Lindell, the former crack addict turned my pillow executive and mentally fucking insane conspiracy theorist. The committee has not yet sent a subpoena to any member of Congress, even those far-right Republicans like jerk-off Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Lauren Boebert, who fanned the flames of conspiracy and anger with election falsehoods and incendiary rhetoric in the build-up to the riot. Arizona Republican Congressman Paul Gosar wasn't just an instigator of the lethal January 6th attack on the Capitol. He was one of the main organizers. I was the person who came up with the January 6th idea with Congressman Gosar, Congressman Mo Brooks, and then Congressman Andy Biggs. Gosar promoted the lie that the election was stolen over a dozen times before January 6th. Thanks to Gosar's encouragement of the mob, just before they attacked the Capitol, five people died, including a Capitol police officer. And even as the Capitol was being attacked, Gosar justified it, saying, Americans are upset. Paul Gosar betrayed his oath to the Constitution and incited a deadly attack on our country. It's time to expel him from Congress and prosecute him for sedition. At the center of the investigation remains Donald Trump, who has sued in federal court to block the release of documents related to January 6th and directed his associates to refuse to cooperate with the committee, citing executive privilege. The latest round of subpoenas reflected the panel's effort to make an end run around Trump's stonewalling to ascertain the former president's every single move on the day of the riot. It is demanding testimony from Nicholas Luna, one of Mr. Trump's body men who was in the Oval Office as the former president pressured Mike Pence to refuse to certify the election. Just moments ago, brand new subpoenas were issued for former President Trump's inner circle, proving that the House Select Committee investing, investigating the deadly January 6th insurrection is shifting into high gear, preparing to do battle with some pretty big names in the Trump world. Also summoned was Mr. McEntee, who was reportedly in the Oval Office during a meeting with Mr. Trump and Mr. Pence when Rudy Giuliani suggested seizing Dominion voting machines and Kaylee fucking McEnany, the former White House press secretary, who was reportedly with Mr. Trump at times as he watched the attack and lie her ass off every time she appeared on camera. The integrity of our election matters. The Constitution of the United States matters. 
What we have seen across the country is Democrat officials systematically trying to do an end run around the Constitution to tip the scales of the election in their favor. Only time will tell whether this latest round of subpoenas opens the door to charging Trump and his accomplices with a crime. Until Merrick Garland puts the full weight of the Justice Department behind prosecuting Bannon and others who refuse to comply with subpoenas, Trump allies will continue to delight in defying these subpoenas. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is Chris Goldsmith. An Iraq war veteran, Goldsmith is the founder and CEO of Spavarius, an open source intelligence firm specializing in the detection and disruption of today's greatest threats against democracy, disinformation campaigns, and domestic extremism. As a 19-year-old, Goldsmith was assigned the task of photographing corpses and documenting mass graves. He developed severe PTSD, and in 2007, as a result of a suicide attempt that caused him to miss redeployment, he was given a less than honorable discharge. After years of legal battles, that discharge was upgraded. Chris went on to become an advocate for veterans with bad paper discharges and help pass crucial legislation that helps them receive the benefits that they deserve. Since then, Chris has turned to combating domestic right-wing extremism and specializes in identifying and combating disinformation while monitoring the movements and rhetoric of some of the nation's most frightening domestic extremist groups. He joins Maya Culpa to discuss how the January 6th insurrection was not merely a one-time event, but failed practice as a new violent political reality dawns on this nation. So let's go now to that conversation. Chris, let's get started today by having you describe your background and what it is that your company, Spavarius, does. Sure. So my name is Chris Goldsmith. I am an Iraq veteran, uh, veterans advocate and current Nazi hunter. I launched a company earlier this year uh, called Sparvarius. It's named after the taxonomic name of the American kestrel. It's the, the smallest predatory bird in the Western Hemisphere. And it's the most prolific one. It's, you've probably seen it without, without ever noticing it. And that goes off of how I operate. I basically am joining extremist organizations online um, operating out in the open. I'm not a hacker or anything crazy like that. I just uh, know how to speak hate, I guess. You know, it's it's got its own language. And I've been doing this for a couple of years. Initially started with investigating foreign entities who target troops and vets online. Everything from Nigerians who steal the identities of those who are killed in action to use them for romance scams to the Russians in the, in the Mueller report. Um, bought ads on Facebook to target an organization that I used to work for, Vietnam Veterans of America. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the Nigerian theft of ID. I was the uh, subject not once but twice 
of identity fraud. The first time it was actually a Nigerian guy. Somewhere along the line, he managed to get um, a copy of a New York State driver's license with his face, my name, my home address, my information, and he was running around to Capital One Bank and just wiping out the mm -hmm. accounts. <laughs> what I find amazing is the fact that they never asked him for a second piece of ID, yet the Capital One Bank that I used to put, do all of my banking in, which is located at the base of the building I live in, right, that I actually did the lease. I was partially involved with mm -hmm. the lease well, because it was, the property was owned by Trump, and this is a Trump property. They always made me show two pieces of ID, but this guy didn't. And it was amazing. He was running out throughout New Jersey, wiping out, you know, my accounts, which um, it brings on a whole new other issue as to why they were potentially, and I mean the SDNY, potentially threatening my wife uh, as a co-conspirator to the hush money payments because I shut down all of my accounts and took my name off of all of the accounts at their suggestion. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the woman who sold or who gave the information to this Nigerian, happened to have been a Capital One Bank employee, fled and went to Virginia. We had her extradited back. And interestingly enough, she got probation. I, on the other hand, pay 130000 for a woman to pull the president's pecker, and I end up with a three-year sentence in prison, plus three years of supervised release. Somewhere along the line, our system is fucking broken, yep. right? But meanwhile, let me go to something else. You said you were um, an Iraqi veteran. Correct. Correct. Yeah, an Iraq vet. Chris, how many how many tours how many tours? Just one. Uh, a a year in Iraq was was enough for me. Yeah. Well, let me begin by thanking you for your service for this country. Certainly, a lot more than the former guy, you know, who claimed, of course, the infamous bone spurs in the foot that he doesn't know whether it was the left or the right one, which. I always find interesting. I had a bone spur in my shoulder, and I can show you the scars in order to get mm -hmm. him out. Right? So uh, how, how he wouldn't know which foot is always astonishing and more important, the fact that he manages to play golf for several hours oh, yeah. while standing on his feet. And let's not forget, he well, is— At the time, he was playing football. He was wearing cleats. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, tr truly amazing. Now, you also said that you were doing—that you were a Nazi hunter. Tell me more, because that intrigues me, as you know, or you may not. My father uh, was born in Poland in a town called Bochnia, which is right outside of Krakow, and um, unfortunately uh, spent quite some time as an Uberkinder, uh, you know, throughout the... Yeah, um, I, I watched your testimony. You know, running, first caught, so, on their yeah. way to... Yeah, so it's... Um, I'm always fascinated. You know, my father, you know, uh, is really going to be one of the last mm -hmm. because of his age, right? You know, um, most obviously um, those that had survived were older and um, they're now no longer with us. So I'm curious, tell me, tell me more. You know, a lot of people use the term Nazi uh, or fascist um, hyperbolically. Um, you know, our, our political conversation... Uh, yeah, I, I never engage in both sidesism, right? But uh, there are a lot of people who uh, are saying stuff about like the uh, Biden mandates are are fascist, right? Well, the Biden mandates aren't uh, ethno nationalists. You know, they're an idea, right? They're they're not uh, purging people uh, of of life, liberty, and and citizenship, right? What I'm talking about when I say that I'm a Nazi hunter, I'm talking about people who do podcasts as regularly as you do, 
and when they video live stream them, they've got a, a swastika in the background. And I'm talking about Americans who grew up um, knowing nothing but safety in the United States because of the stuff that our forefathers went through to fight against the forces of fascism and Nazis, uh, who've decided that uh, that being racist isn't just an idea, it's a way of life. And these people are, a, a lot of us make the mistake of assuming that all racists are idiots. And that's, it's not true, um, especially with these Gen Z kids. There's a whole generation of um, young, young men, like the ones who uh, participated in the Charlottesville riot, who immerse themselves in Nazi and fascist uh, history and are taking the lessons learned about like propaganda and movement building and recruiting um, and applying those history lessons to their Gen Z skill set. Um, you know, they were born into an era where marketing is like part of everyone's personality. If you're online, if you've got a TikTok or an, or an Instagram, uh, you are, you know, from a young age, you've got a good idea as to what gets the clicks, what gets the likes, what builds a following, right? So the same stuff that makes somebody a, a TikTok star nowadays, they're taking that same skill set and applying uh, neo-fascist, um, anti-Semitic, racist, Islamophobic, homophobic uh, ideology. So it's it's frightening because it's everywhere. You know, we uh, we talk a lot about how Facebook is has changed our culture, and Facebook was partially responsible for what happened on January 6, twenty twenty. Um, but all the bad stuff that used to exist on Facebook now exists on other platforms, Telegram, Gab, MeWe, all of these platforms that regular people don't use. And right now, they're serving as, as silos where people are going inside of an information bubble and they're becoming radicalized, not accidentally, but because the leaders of these hate movements know how to create and use propaganda to change people's minds and to recruit them into ideologies of hate. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because you're 100% correct. Not all of these um, neo-Nazi white supremacist groups that the individuals that are involved are stupid. To the contrary, many of them are actually quite bright. And that's the scariest part. You may remember there was an old movie. Uh, well, actually, you wouldn't because you're so young. But in 1998, there was a movie called American History yeah. X that starred Ed Norton. Phenomenal, phenomenal movie. It was, um, uh, what was the, the Ed, it was both Edwards, Ed Norton and Ed Furlong, who played the younger brother. And you'll remember from there, of course, you know, Ed Norton goes to prison for three years for involuntary manslaughter, the whole bit. And he had the swastikas uh, on his chest that's a famous scene when after he kills the young black boy trying to steal a car his car uh and he you know he stands up and he has the gigantic swastika across his left uh chest and um you know then 
the movie is really more about the attempted indoctrination of his younger brother into uh, this white supremacist uh, skinhead neo-Nazi movement and how, of course, you know, Ed Norton tries to pull him out from it. But my, my point, my point on this is really the fact that the younger brother was incredibly bright and that's what made them so interested in him because his intelligence was being used by the master manipulator, the head of their of the clan over there, uh, in order to indoctrinate others. In order that he knew that there's a group of them that are dumber than shit, right? That they're your soldiers. They're the ones that you tell them go out, you know, use your head as a battering ram. And these guys, after knocking down a couple of forties, right, are out there banging their heads into cars and so on. But then you have the intelligent ones that are the dangerous ones. They're in the background, and they're the ones that are manipulating the system. They're the ones that are using the as you know the homophobia, Islamophobia, uh, xenophobia uh, as a tool in order to indoctrinate more people into yeah. their movement. Yeah, and this is, um, I, I remember watching that movie well. Um, I was, uh, I guess, around, I don't know, 13 when it came out. Um, so I was watching on VSA, uh, VHS tape, um, you know, when, when somebody got a copy. You know, and, and I, I see that, that movie as, you know, to an intelligent, to an adult, to someone who's, um, you know, got life experience seeing that movie, it's it's a warning, right? Uh, but to a kid, it's 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 complicated. And when you have someone who's older than you, more uh, maybe not intelligent, but more experienced than you, who's guiding you through life, you know, your mentor. If if a racist introduces a kid to that movie, they're not going to get a lesson out of it. Like that's going to become a recruiting movie, even though, you know, that's the total opposite of what it's supposed to be. Right. But today, you know, instead of these Hollywood blockbusters, we have we have YouTube uh, and then the, all the alternate ones like Odyssey and, and BitChute, where propagandists can upload their own, you know, high production value uh, videos that are um, reframing things like history. I mean, they uh, these uh, online neo-Nazi white supremacist networks, they have mandatory reading and mandatory viewing. They make their recruits, people who join their Telegram channels, watch you know a certain list of movies so that they can immerse themselves in this... Um, you know, people use the the, the phrase uh, alternative reality. It's it's not an alternative reality. It's it's a fantasy. It's a violent, hateful fantasy, um, where they're reframing facts. You know, into uh, something that's sympathetic to ideologies of hate. Tell me, how do you combat something like that when you see these um, these groups on chat lines and so on and they have the swastika sticker in the back. They're using paraphernalia from the Third Reich, um, whether it's updated today's uh, or it's just pamphlets that they've recreated, uh, again, from, you know, Nazi Germany. How do, you, how do you combat them? What do you actually do? Are you tracking them? Are you listing who these folks are? Are we working at all with 
law enforcement? Are we working with the FBI? So on the right, there's an obsession with Antifa, right? Well, they never uh, say what they are. Antifa is anti-fascist, right? So I am an anti-fascist. Now, I'm not an anonymous online troll who, who doxes people and puts their personal stuff on the inf- uh, on the internet for people to you know harass them or whatever. Um, what I do is I, I sit back and observe uh, and try to educate people. You know, I um, the stuff that I that I witness every day online, I wouldn't want to just dump on Twitter. Right. I, I wouldn't just want to let everybody see it because ultimately you're you're uh, spreading fear. You're spreading spreading hate when you do that. So instead, what I'm doing is trying to get, you know, policymakers on Capitol Hill uh, within social media companies, law enforcement, uh, the the Biden administration to understand, you know, the ugliest parts of the Internet so that they can work on policies to prevent uh, these alternative networks from basically being breeding grounds for neo-Nazis. You know, folks who who work in, in this industry can send tips, you know, to, to law enforcement like anybody can. But unfortunately, under the current law, you know, being a Nazi is is within your First Amendment rights. You can you know, you can post generalized threats even. But until it gets specific enough, like you have a specific target and you're going to use a specific method on a specific time and day like that, you haven't broken the law. Right. So all of the stuff that I see. Right. Right. Wasn't it? Hey, Chris, wasn't it Ted Cruz as an example the other day that turned around and said about the teacher uh, who um, did the, uh, the salute, <laughs> yeah. the Nazi salute, that it's within his yeah. First Amendment right? Now, he's not wrong about that as a constitutionalist. It is your mm-hmm. First Amendment right to walk around, you know, doing the Nazi salute. It's your right to mm-hmm. be a fucking asshole and walk down the street and be a fucking asshole. You could wear a shirt that turns around and says, fuck Joe Biden. You could write, walk down the street that would turn around and say, fuck you, Donald, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a chant for you. They say, you know, fuck Joe Biden, fuck you, <laughs> Donald, right? You fucking douchebag. I mean, I have my constitution, my First Amendment constitutional right to mm-hmm. say whatever I want. That doesn't necessarily or shouldn't translate to somebody like Ted Cruz, who is a guy who was running for the presidency of the United States, acknowledging that this is normal behavior. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying you shouldn't be doing it. You know, there's a big difference, and people forget that. Just because you're allowed to do something doesn't mean that you should, right? I mean, that's the, that's the issue. And that's what I'm sure you're confronted with a lot in your Nazi hunting, so to speak, right, yeah. um, behavior and action. What I try to do, you know, there, there are people who um, are anti-fascist who are willing to, you know, cross a lot of lines. And I'm, not. I'm, I'm not willing to put myself at risk uh, to, to legal action, right? I'm not going to break any criminal law. But what I will do is try and impose social and economic costs on folks who subscribe to these ideologies because that's that's the most that we can we can do right and and i'm within my first amendment rights to uh when someone like senator cruz comes up and and, uh defends the nazi salute i put it in context for america you know i i let americans know 
that when Ted Cruz did that, and it was a stupid PR stunt that uh, I, I think he was probably just reading a script that some 22-year-old staffer wrote for him and didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth until it did. But I let people know, like, the actual Nazis, the people who with the swastika tattoos, were fucking ecstatic. They were so excited to have Ted Cruz come up and, and defend their ideology. And this isn't happening in a vacuum. Like the last couple weekends in a row, neo-Nazis have been driving around in what they call the hate bus around Austin, Texas, and picking fights with people in, in minority neighborhoods. They've been showing up at, uh, at, at uh, events that, you know, th there's going to be press there and uh, they, you know, make these anti-Semitic signs and drop banners with anti-Semitic slurs on them off of uh, freeways. And uh, and those those are the guys who are actually, you know, showing off their swastika tattoos to people in minority populations and threatening them who are, you know, Ted Cruz's constituents and they fucking love the guy. And, you know, Ted, Ted can get on TV and, you know, issue press statements through his press office and say like, oh, well, you know, it's just the example of, of freedom of speech and all that. But it doesn't matter the, the damage is already done. The fact that he was stupid enough to, and he's not he's not a stupid man. He's a smart man. The fact that he was willing to to say that. Uh, it's it says a lot about the Republican Party. It says a lot about, you know, not just the GOP in, in terms of the politicians, but the base of support. You know, if if Cruz giving him the, the most benefit of the doubt that I can. If Cruz didn't know what he was going to read off of that piece of paper before he started, you know, supporting Nazi salute on TV, it at least says something about the young staffer who wrote those notes for him. Now, it also says that Ted Cruz was completely unprepared, that he should have read it in advance of going out mm -hmm. and reading it. You know, it's that's like the movie, you know, Ron with Ron Burgundy, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What's, the, what's the name of the movie? Why am I I'm, blanking, I'm blanking on, on uh, Ron Burgundy? Uh, anyway, the, the point is, right, Ron will read anything mm -hmm. off of a teleprompter. Well, the same thing, you know, as it works with, you know, with, uh, with Cruz. You, you don't just read anything simply because you're reading anything off of what's being told to you. I mean, that's not smart. That's not somebody that I would want representing me. I do have one last question on this topic that I want to ask you. What kind of reception are you actually getting from the Biden administration in terms of the information that you're gathering regarding these you know, white supremacist um, so groups? Right now, um, the Biden administration is, is in an information collecting period, right? And I'm so oh, I'm so sorry. It just Anchorman. 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 Yep, that's it. Anchorman. I apologize. I just to, to all of those that were sitting there listening and say, "Why are you interrupting, Chris? We're more interested in what he has to say." I don't blame you. I'm more interested too. But it just dawned on me. It's one of my favorite so, movies. Um, so the Biden administration right now is in a fact finding phase, and they're also trying to gauge, you know, what um, what is Congress willing to do on this issue, and what brought me, what made me an investigator. Right. What made me start poking around uh, the, the dark corners of the Internet was being a veteran advocate and finding foreign entities that were targeting our community with everything from disinformation to identity theft. Um, so my angle on this is specifically about veterans. 
Now, why did the foreign entities, everybody from the Russians to the Nigerians to uh, the Macedonians, why did they target my community? Well, because individual veterans uh, and veterans as a cohort are an economically efficient target. If you can change the mind, the voting behavior, the belief system of a veteran, you're more likely to take along that entire veteran's family and uh, a, a bit of their immediate social network, meaning their you know coworkers, their their friends. Um, now these neo Nazis, uh, these fascists, again self described. These are the terms that they use to describe themselves. They target veterans for the same reason. Because if they can convince a veteran to join the hate movement, they might get a whole family out of it. They might get multiple generations of, of, uh, of neo-Nazis out of it. And also, um, you know, these folks are more interested in actual combat than just about any other group outside of ISIS. They are targeting veterans because of our... Um, not just our military training, you know, we're, we're trained to shoot, we're trained hand-to-hand combat, some of us for the most part. Um, but we also understand how, uh, how to patch somebody up if they get shot, you know, how to do like first aid for, for serious wounds. Uh, we also know how to lead small teams, you know, squad size elements against a, a, larger, a larger crowd. We have a, a good understanding of how police might respond to an emergency, right? So that's why you hear about the guys who got wrapped up in Michigan by the FBI because they were planning on killing, uh, mm-hmm. kidnapping, killing Jenner, um, Governor Whitmer. Well, you know, they were taking military style tactics and applying them to stuff back here in the United States. We've got a whole generation. We were at war for 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are a whole lot of people. There's over 3 million, I think, of us now with time in a combat zone. Um, and white supremacists recognize that, you know, if they can get just a handful of us, it's going to expand their ranks um, and make them more effective. The same way that uh, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company wants to attract veterans, because you know we're good at whatever it is that we do. I mean, that's that's why we made it through basic training. That's why we made it through the military, right? So, yeah, discipline. Yeah. It's all about the discipline. That's why I am keeping my focus. You know, when we saw on January 6th the the first you know couple dozen people who were wrapped up. Uh, having military uh, backgrounds, I think it became clear to to folks that not every veteran takes their oath seriously or, you know, uh, trying to give them the benefit of doubt. Not every veteran understands their oath. You know, these guys, they have consumed so much disinformation over the last five years. They think that storming the Capitol and hitting cops with an American flag is somehow patriotic. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of mental gymnastics to get there, but they're not doing it, you know, just because they're bad people. They're doing it because they live in this fantasy world where uh, where those ideas are not challenged. You know, everything from Fox News to Newsmax to uh, OAN is 
is basically, you know, trying to convince half of America that uh, that the rest of us are real enemies, you know, in in, in the uh, without a hyperbolic, you know, sprinkle to it. They, they want us to be perceived as legitimate targets for violence. Well, Chris, let me ask you this. You were quoted in a recent Military Times piece about a $30.2 million appropriation for a program to deal with extremism, exactly what you're doing, not just extremism, but radicalization and misinformation in the armed forces. Now, you felt that this was merely a drop in the bucket. How big of a problem is there what needs to be done and how much money do you think it's going to take in order to get this under control? I think the commanders should have a pretty good idea, you know, uh, throughout the entire military of, um, of the effect of disinformation news networks on, on the force. You know, there were a whole lot of uh, service members who were at first refusing the vaccine because they thought, you know, it was experimental and blah, 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 and all these reasons. Well, every one of them have been shot up with something like 17 different vaccines. It's a requirement to serve to get, you know, and I got the anthrax vaccine, I'm pretty sure way more times than I was supposed to. And that was an actual experimental vaccine, right? So I think commanders should, should from this vaccine thing, have a good understanding of how many of their troops have been infected by disinformation in a way that, you know, some of them are willing to sacrifice their careers. Some of them, you know, pro uh, proclaim to, to love the military. were willing to walk away from it all because of a fucking shot. I can't put a, uh, a number on the table as to how much it's going to cost because it's, it's really not about the money. It's about changing the culture. It's about, you know, there's zero tolerance for a lot of shit in the military. There needs to be zero tolerance for white supremacy. And we can't just snap our fingers and make it done, right? We need to have um, non-commissioned officers, sergeants like I was, uh, and, and officers understand the dog whistles, understand the coded language that these white nationalists and, and uh, violent extremists use. Um, we need to understand the signs. You know, when we see uh, somebody when, with an 88, you know, scratched into, uh, into their weapon or something like that, um, you know, commanders should know that means hail Hitler. That is going to take a generation to figure out. It's, it's not going to be something that the Biden administration can do even if, you know, there's a re-election and they have eight years to do it, it's, it's going to take a whole generation to purge the force uh, of those who've, who've fallen to hate and disinformation campaigns. You know, Chris, it's such a, it's such a, there's so much misinformation that is out there, um, including, including the, just the belief, the misbelief that, this white supremacy, this um, neo-Nazi skinhead movement is directed solely at members of the Jewish faith. It is not. They, they despise, as much as they despise the Jewish people, they mm -hmm. despise blacks. They despise brown. You know, they despise everyone 
who is not in their mind, right, pure. But the interesting thing is that nobody is pure in this country, right, for the most part. They're just, they're just not. Everybody seems to be a mix of somebody from so, especially if mm-hmm. you're in America, right? It's, 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 we're not a homogenous or, uh, country. You know, we are a mixture, and that's what makes America so great, the fact that we are this melting pot. Um, I just find it interesting that so many people believe it's just a misconception that it's targeted directly Jews. Yes, the Jewish people are certainly and have been since the start of Trump's administration. We see spikes in terms of anti-Semitic rhetoric, anti-Semitic acts taken against synagogues and against um, you know Jews walking in the street, etc. And it's really scary because it's not just against Jews. It's against mm-hmm. blacks and LGBTQ and brown and, you know, Hispanics, against everybody. And the funny thing is we outnumber these white supremacist groups by a multitude, exponentially outnumber them. And the interesting thing is when everybody else starts to band together, and that's what America really needs to do, not just in this specific area, but in terms of our entire societal interaction with one another. We need to band together. And when you see a neo-Nazi group walking down the street and so on, whether you're black, you're white, whether you're Christian, Jewish, whether you're straight, whether you're gay, it makes no difference. If they all banded together, watch. They believe, watch how they would back down because they believe in the, like the mm-hmm. wolf pack theory, right? There's more of us and we look tough with our heads shaven and with our tattoos and so Listen, fuck you and your tattoos. Virtually everybody today has mm-hmm. at least a tattoo, right? Um, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, so the fact that you have a tattoo of hate, big deal, not impressed. Yeah. You, you follow you follow what I'm saying? But they think that because they're a group of, say, 50 walking down the street. Really. Now circle them as a group of 500 and watch. Watch, mm-hmm. what, watch what happens. You know, they, they, they talk tough when it's 50 of them on five of you. But they're not so tough when it's 50 of them versus 500. You know, and, and the way to hurt them, and this is something you know well, you're a lawyer, is go after their pocketbook. Right. So when you find out, you know, somebody's a Nazi, your neighborhood, somebody you grew up with, whatever, expose them, make it so that they're unemployable, make it so that they, you know, short of full repentance and rehabilitation cannot participate in our society. You know, they are they are right now uh, very consciously trying to build what they call a parallel economy. They want to make it so that if mm-hmm. one of them gets fired for being found out to be a Nazi, well, they just go online to you know, their Telegram or, or Gab or whatever and put up a, you know, a, a, a work wanted kind of uh, post and say like, hey, you know, I was outed as a Nazi, someone hire me. We can't allow them to do that. Yeah, Nazi work. That's <laughs> Nazi work.com. Yeah, no, but I'm not kidding. They have, <laughs> they have dedicated, I'm not gonna say the names of them, but they got, they have dedicated websites for this stuff and they are trying to make it so that they can, that they can be isolated enough that there are no social or economic costs associated with being outed for being a hate monger. Um, 
And some of them are successful, you know, some of them in the tech sector or something like that can can uh, have managed to connect with a bunch of fucking losers in their mom's basement. And they just, you know, keep their uh, keep, you know, paying each other using um, encrypted currencies and stuff like that. Right. Um, but we can't we can't continue to let them do that. You know, when we find out that uh, that Google is is working with them uh, through, you know, the back channels of the Internet, serving ads on their websites, that kind of thing, we need to make sure that Google cuts them off. You know, when we find them, um, you know, selling stuff uh, on uh, using PayPal, we need to let PayPal know that, hey, you know, this vendor over here is employing Nazis or they are a Nazi. We need to make sure that we cut off their revenue streams because until we hurt them, you know, in the wallet where it really hurts, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Welcome to Missed Riffs, stories of artists who dreamt of becoming the next Rolling Stones, but ended up rolling burritos instead. Can I get extra guac on that? I'm Matt Pinfield. Today we are looking at an actual success story. Legendary Ford Bronco pitchman John Bronco was known for his bushy mustache, incredible catchphrases, and machismo exterior that made him one of the most popular TV pitchmen in history. This truck's tougher than your mama's daddy. So hit the road. It's got my name on it, so you know it plays dirty. Yes, baby, it's meaner than a wet panther you forgot to invite to your birthday party. Huh. But not many people knew Bronco actually had a pretty successful music career. The story goes, one afternoon, John was doing some Ford radio promos when he found a guitar in the booth. It changed his life forever. Mama, shit, track Mama Named Me Bronco is the only commercial jingle ever to go triple platinum. Yeah, man, I was the engineer on that session. It was like it was like watching Jimi Hendrix cut Foxy Lady or like Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire or you know, Limp Biscuit, Scott Stapp, you know, just so heavy. I mean, you just knew you were capturing something like historic. John Bronco even knocked Jackson Brown off the top of Bob Magazine's Hottest Dudes in Rock number one ranking. I love you, John Bronco. The new Ford Bronco. Cause daddy wants a pony too. John Bronco also had a classic jingle he wrote for his breakfast cereal, Bronco's, called Get Bucked. Hi, who's ready for breakfast? Get bucked with super flavors. This bucket Bronco's gonna kick you out of bed with an oat crunch and a hint of sharp cheddar and pineapple cherry flavored gummy horseshoes. The track was later covered by reggae band Rasta Rasta and became a huge hit in Europe. John Bronco! Get Get ready to shred the roof of your mouth! To learn the whole story, check out John Bronco and John Bronco Rides Again, currently streaming on Hulu. I'll leave you with Bronco's final song, The Ballad of John Bronco. Go, go, Bronco mode It's gonna be insane We're going all terrain 
before We're gonna take off all the doors There's plenty of features you'll enjoy So buckle up there, cowboy Go, go, Bronco Moe Go, go, Bronco Moe Bronco Moe Yeah, so let me ask you this then. Of the congressmen that are linked with the January 6th insurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people like Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert, Mo Brooks, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and others. Which one of these is the most linked with these insurrectionists and likely to go down? What are you hearing from your sources regarding any so, of these folks? As far as going down, I don't know. What I will say is that the one who's most connected, most deliberately, most knowingly to actual neo-Nazis, not just like unlawful militias, the idiots who run around guns, right? Like Bobert is doing that. She's she like posts on Instagram about it, right? Everybody knows she hangs out with idiots with guns. The one who matters, Paul Gosar, he's the dentist uh, from Arizona whose entire family came out and said like, our brother's a white supremacist, don't vote for him, right? Like if your entire family comes out and says you're you're a piece of shit and you don't belong in office, I, I think voters should believe him. Paul Gosar uh, has been buddying up to this kid, Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes runs the America First PAC, the America First Movement. This is a rebranded version of uh, the neo-Nazis who marched in Charlottesville. You know, we uh, we as a society and newscasters and pundits have made the mistake of adopting the terminology that neo-Nazis use to describe themselves. You know, they called it the Unite the Right rally. And that tricked a bunch of Republicans into reflexively defending them, saying like, oh, these are just Republicans. They're just people on, on the political right. No, Republicans didn't meet in Charlottesville. Neo-Nazis, people who worship Hitler, people who... Uh, you know, call themselves fascists. Those were the ones who met in Charlottesville. Those are the ones who committed murder running a car into a pack of protesters. Um, and Paul, Paul Gosar knows Nick Fuentes well, you know, sits down for meals with him, takes photos with him, does campaign things with him. Nick Fuentes was one of those neo-Nazis marching in Charlottesville. It's the only reason he's famous. Kid went to Boston University or Boston College. The only reason Nick Fuentes got famous was because other students confronted him and he left school because he thought he was going to get beaten up. And the New York Times did an article about him. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's got a, a verified Twitter account, uh, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers. And the guy built a career off of being a neo-Nazi and branding it as America first. But what's amazing to me about it, because I remember hearing about this Nick Fuentes moron. And I remember seeing it, and you know, I, I know that he was from the Illinois area. Uh, I think it was like Western Springs, Illinois, or something like that. And this goes right to the point of American History X. 
This fucking asshole was the president of the student council. And yeah, he then went to Boston University, but after all this shit came out, he ended up leaving, and then he was trying to go, I think, to Auburn or something like that. Uh, and suppose, I don't know whether he didn't get in, or I don't know whether they didn't want him, or what have you, but I have no idea. But here's the part I find fascinating, absolutely fascinating. He's Catholic, we, we know that, but he's of Hispanic and Italian descent, right? Now, simply being Hispanic, simply being Italian would have prohibited you from being part of Hitler's Third Reich. You could not, you were a mutt, you were a mongrel. You were no better, no worse than the Jew. It's truly amazing to me that this guy could be such a far right wing white supremacist nationalist now it's i could understand if you say to me i'm a nationalist i believe in america first i could deal with something like that but not the white supremacy part you know i could understand you saying listen i i'm an american you know i care about america before we care about any other that's your prerogative and so on. but it's this white supremacy notion that you know you don't fit into the guideline of being a white supremacist. And yet this guy is at like the top of the heap, which to me well, is just you know, interesting. A lot of people will, will, will sell out. Uh, if I don't, that's not even the right phrase. A lot of people will do crazy shit for money. Look at Candace Owens, you know, the, the Fox news darling, right? She's, she's a black woman who, uh, who grew up in Connecticut, sued her high school uh, over racist policies and, and won, right? So that was the first thing she did going into adulthood. And then, be, you know, goes into, uh, joins a modeling agency, gets picked up into the right-wing um, disinformation sphere and becomes the, the Black woman who Fox News calls on to talk shit about Black people, right? Nick Fuentes is no different. The guy sees money, and he's willing to, uh, you know, provoke hate uh, and and violence because he makes money doing it. I mean, the guy is, according to my research, um, you know, but for some of his accounts alleged being allegedly being like locked or whatever, uh, has been the recipient of the equivalent of millions of dollars in Bitcoin donations from a, a white supremacist overseas. I mean, the guy became a millionaire preaching hate. Um, you know, the way that he, uh, I, uh, how much money he makes is unclear, but the guy just sits there and rants into a microphone with a webcam in front of him in a green screen, literally in his mom's basement and neo-Nazis and white supremacist youth donate like $5 at a time during his live stream to listen to him say outrageous shit. And this this like disinformation hate for profit thing, it creates a feedback loop that turns into a movement. And that's why, you know, over the last five years, nobody used to talk about the KKK. Like nobody used to talk about neo-Nazis marching through the, street, the streets. It wasn't until Charlottesville when it became clear that a whole lot of indoctrinated white supremacists, young kids, teenagers and people in their early 20s had fallen into this shit or been drawn to this shit 
and were willing to show their face marching, you know, with a tiki torch or uh, with a helmet shield and, and baseball bat. You know, this is um, the last few years for our country have, have been really ugly. And to be honest, I, I think that most people, even those who are paying attention, uh, have no idea of, of what's just beneath the surface because it's moved all off of Facebook and, and Twitter for the most part and into these alternative shit platforms where it is nothing but fucking neo-Nazis. And a lot of this, you really have to dump right onto the lap of Donald Trump because he refused, no matter how hard the press tried to push him onto it, he refused to denounce David Duke and white supremacy. And instead, what did he remember his famous words? There are mm -hmm. good and bad people on both sides. No, Donald, you fucking jerk off. Explain that one to your grandchildren, to the Kushner side, that are modern orthodox, you fucking numbnut, jerk off idiot, right? There are mm -hmm. no good Nazis, right? I don't know how to explain that to him. Nobody could explain it to him. And the more that we tried to explain, maybe that wasn't the best statement you should denounce. He didn't want to hear shit from it. And so you're right. It was all because he didn't want to isolate them. These were his people that were going to continue to support him. And part of that hundred and fifty plus million dollars that he raised for that next pack of grifting bullshit that he's going to do. But let me ask you this, Chris, to prevent Donald Trump from serving as president again in 2024, he must be tried and convicted of inciting the insurrection on January 6th. But thus far, he's remained Teflon as the GOP supports his big lie, and then they continue to whitewash what happened on January 6th. It's infuriating listening to them. But the deeper the investigation gets and more clear it is that not only did Donald himself incite the crowd, but help plan and fund January 6th. Yet, despite all of this, he still may succeed in running out the clock and once again will, swith um, will slither away completely unscathed. In your mind, is it too late? Right? Did we miss our window to hold Trump accountable? And if not... How do we make people see what happened that day and finally hold him accountable? You know, I uh, I wish that Attorney General Merrick Garland were a little more aggressive uh, when it came to the insurrection problem that we've had in this country. None of the January 6th insurrectionists have been charged with sedition or have been charged with insurrection. You know, these are these are actual crimes that are on the books and they have not been charged despite meeting the textbook definition, you know, trying to interfere with democracy using violence. Uh, that is is unfortunate. And, you know, there's there's no going there's no going back and, and you know, picking a new attorney general, someone who's going to uh, who's going to take a hard line against these folks. But the same method that's being taken against the charlottesville neo-nazis so like as we're recording this right now they're on trial in charlottesville is the route that needs to be taken for the entire entire trump empire you know we as as americans need to come together and whether that's founding a, a new nonprofit that's dedicated solely to this purpose we need to make sure that we take away every bit of property that that man's family has accumulated because we deserve it. 
you know, he he has done damage to the democracy that belongs to us all, for which there is no price that we can put on that. You know, the best we can do is just bankrupt the entire family as punitive damages for, uh, you know, for putting our our country, you know, back uh, 150 years. You know, we we have never been this divided. Um, and again, I don't want to, like, do this both sides isn't thing, right? Like, there are not Democrats marching in the streets uh, who are, you know, trying to uh, say that, you know, some race needs to go away, right? <laughs> but we've got a senator who's defending the Nazi salute. We've got Paul Gosar, who's cozying up to, you know, violent white extremists who did participate in storming the Capitol, who bust people there, right? Um you know, we we need to just do everything we can in civil court to try and bankrupt the Trump Trump empire and make sure that we repair the damage that uh, that's been done by that family to us. Well, Chris, for that, we're fortunate to have Cyrus Vance, our New York district attorney. We are very fortunate to have Tish James, our New York attorney general. We are incredibly fortunate to have someone like a Mark Pomerantz, an attorney that was brought in in order to run this investigation, because they are the ones that have now indicted the Trump organization. They're the ones that have indicted now Alan Weisselberg. They're the ones that have just impaneled a second grand jury uh, to take a look at other individuals. While I applaud the New York DA Attorney General, while I applaud the Georgia Attorney General, and so on. This is really a federal issue on top of what they're doing. And yes, they have really slapped the living shit out of the Trump organization in terms of finances, you know, really, really hard. And hopefully when they turn around, they realize how much this piece of shit has, you know, um, stolen from the U.S. Treasury in terms of failing to pay taxes and so on, that'll be the rest of whatever money is out there. But that's not really the point. The point is Merrick Garland really needs to get up and to do something. And if he doesn't, it is so toothless. It makes Democrats look toothless. And it's going to interfere in the 2022 midterms and then ultimately 2024, where if Trump can run out the clock and he's the best at it, I know this firsthand because I was involved in running out the clock on many of these matters early, early on. And this is this is his game plan. So why is Merrick Garland just sitting back and doing anything? I know that he's very, um, you know, he's very... Um, deliberate in what he does and how he does it. But we need somebody that is a combination of Merrick Garland, the guy who is deliberate, and then an animal like Bill fucking Barr, right? That didn't give a shit about anybody, including violating my First Amendment constitutional right, remanding me. That all came from Bill Barr. And that's not my words. That's from Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein. It was retaliation. What country is it? That allows an attorney general to throw somebody back into prison to protect, you know, the president because a book is coming out that he didn't want to come out. Right. I mean, this is this is crazy. We need somebody in the middle. Where's the special counsels? Where are the investigations? These are the things that we actually need and we need it right now, which brings me to the whole issue of like what's going on with this January 6th committee. Here's what Donald Trump has done to this country far worse than anything. He's basically shown the American people that Congress doesn't mean shit. 
your House, the Senate. They don't mean anything. Only he, as president, the supreme leader, means anything, which is why Trump went ahead and he told various different um, you know, associates that were working with him not to participate in the January 6th committee's requests uh, for their appearances at the hearings. Six subpoenas to top Trump campaign associates were, um, were sent. Mike Flynn, you have John Eastman, William Stepien, Jason Miller, uh, Angela McCallum, and now Bernie Kerrick, right? These six individuals, then, of course, you have Dan Scavino. On top of that, you also had um, Cash Patel, Mark Meadows, uh, Steve Bannon. And what Trump has shown them is that just fucking ignore it. They, they have no power. They can't do anything. So the fact of the matter is it's two weeks already since Steve Bannon refused to appear. The fact that they haven't done anything... You know, a lot of people joke around on Twitter. They say, oh, you know, Merrick, Gar- Merrick Garland should be fired. They should put Michael Cohen in as the attorney general that, you know, they could automatically give me my license back, right? And so on. They should put me in the, as attorney general. Let me tell you what I would do if I was the attorney general in this case. I would immediately have Steve Bannon in handcuffs for contempt. Refusal to appear. And in handcuffs... I would have him chained to a chair. Now, he could invoke his Fifth Amendment, absolutely, and I would abide by the Constitution. But bullshit if you're not going to appear. And do the same to all of them. Then some of them, like, for example, Bernie Kerrick, who got a pardon, he has no, he has no right to invoke the Fifth Amendment because he got a pardon for that. He must testify or he could potentially lose the pardon. That's what I would do. I would go after every single option available to me to ensure that people understand that Congress has subpoena power. And unlike me, who just appeared because I was told to without a subpoena, I was requested to appear. It's my obligation as an American citizen to provide the information being requested by Congress. That's just how I, how I saw it. These people, based upon Trump's directive and order, and this isn't the Donald Trump wink, nod, uh, mob style, you know, way of telling people not to do it. This is flat out saying, fuck them, don't appear. That's that's a problem. And that's the beginning of the destruction of our democracy. Let me let me let me tell you something that's going to piss you off. Mike Flynn, military officer, you know, retired former general. That guy's still collecting retirement from the Department of Defense. You know, yeah, I am like, look at what that. happened to your life. And then look at what happened to Mike Flynn. Right. Every veteran, you know, that I've ever met who, uh, you know, has has talked about issues of justice and veteran status. The only reason that people should ever be con- like a judge should or a jury should consider someone's veteran status uh, during a case is if injuries and illnesses related to their service were a, uh, a contributing factor to alleged misconduct, right? And at, at that point, it makes sense to consider someone's veteran status. Otherwise, if you swore an oath to the Constitution, you became an insurrectionist like Mike Flynn, you know, you, you uh, are selling out your country for profit. Uh, you are you know, spreading disinformation and conspiracy theories. 
Uh, and Steve Bannon's a vet too. He's not collecting uh, retirement, but but he also served in uniform. These guys are the ones who should be getting the harshest treatment, not from not just from DOJ, um, but DOD should look at them and say, you know, do we really want them to be affiliated with us? You know, they were allowed to to leave the service with their rank intact. It's not too late. You know, the Department of Defense, Defense could move tomorrow and say, Mike Flynn, we want those stars back. And we we're no longer. Yeah, they should know? be taking and it that's, back. That's the least that they can do for a character like yeah. that. So, you know, Chris, as we're coming up to the hour, I told you the time goes by really, really quickly. Um, I have two last questions for you. For, the, for most Americans, January 6th was a shocking sight. It was for me, especially knowing what Trump was going through, what he was doing in the residence of the, of the White House. But for experts like yourself, you must have known that this is coming, right? Um, if you would, describe what chatter was like on Parler and Gab and some of these other websites that you were referring to before in the weeks and days prior to that January 6th day, how could they not have been more prepared? In the Between the election and January 6th, I was joining groups like the 3% Security Force, you know, using a, a fake identity that was very close to my own true story. You know, Iraq vet pissed off, used to, uh, I was a forward observer, used to blow stuff up. You know, I can speak their language to talk about my weapon system that I own, whatever, uh, the rifle, shotgun, that type of thing. Um, I joined these organizations and the recruiting questions were things like, you know, if we called you up, we know you're in New York, if we called you up tomorrow to go storm the Capitol, would you be with us? Right. And that, those are questions that I'm getting in November of 2020. You know, I January 6th was for me. I grew up in New York. I was 16 on September 11th, living in Long Island, close enough to see the smoke from my hometown to the towers. January 6th felt just like September 11th. It, it felt like the feelings that came back that day were like nothing I've felt since then. Uh, and I've been the fucking war between, between them, right? Um, I watched the insurrection from the inside. These fucking animals went through the halls of Congress that I know, you know, I have, I, I, being a veteran advocate, I walk through all of those hallways. You know, I know staffers, I know members of Congress who are in danger that day, right? And I watch these fucking animals live stream. And, you know, the the idea that we have people like Tucker Carlson trying to gaslight our country into believing that the insurrection didn't happen when we all saw it with our own eyes uh, is, is fucking disgusting. And um, you know, I, I am pissed off and I am saddened that intelligence agencies and law enforcement didn't take our warnings from, you know, the private intelligence community, um, that they didn't take them seriously and they didn't coordinate, you know, it's the same kind of failures that happened on nine 11. Like everybody knew what was going on, but no one was talking to one another. Everybody's like, oh, well, they got it. You know, it's, this is in their purview. Um, but I know that that's not going to happen again. What happened on January 6th, um, we learned a lot from as, as a country, the intelligence community, law enforcement community, defense community learned from those mistakes. They, when I come with a warning again, there's, they're going to take it seriously. 
Well, did we did we really learn anything? What we're what we are learning, or what we're trying to learn, based upon the release of some of the documents that have been requested by by Congress that President Biden has authorized the release of, is potentially President Trump at the time telling mm-hmm. everybody to stand down, let them have their moment, and so on, and not allowing uh, backup. Uh, you know, the National Guard or others to come in and to help to quell this? Because what do you have? A hundred police officers versus 10,000 people? Certainly it goes right back to my statement mm-hmm. about what we should do when we know that uh, these white supremacists are marching is you come in with a bigger group. But my last question to you, and this is probably the most poignant of all the questions I may have asked you this entire hour, of all of the hate groups that you monitor, Which one keeps you up at night in terms of their willingness and ability to organize an attack? Um, Well, nobody keeps me up at night. Um, You know, I, uh, I have, I am comfortable in, in what I do. I'm not afraid of these people, but what you're asking is, you know, what is the most potentially dangerous organization out there? Uh, That is the Patriot Front. Patriot Front is run by a 22 or 23 year old named uh, Thomas Rousseau, lives in Grapevine, Texas, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. This kid, uh, I, with a buddy of mine, infiltrated his organization last year. We took them offline just before the elections. Uh, people can go to my, my Twitter handle. You'll see the pinned tweet. There was a BuzzFeed, uh, there was a leak to BuzzFeed, right? I was the guy who leaked it to BuzzFeed. Uh, all of their internal communications. I spent about four months inside of their um, rocket chat, which is basically like Slack, open source version of Slack, watching how they communicate, how they build a narrative, um, how they encourage one another to take real world actions to promote their ideologies. That is the organization that I think that American law enforcement is completely unprepared for. They're operating out in the open with the name like Patriot Front, and their branding with the red, white, and blue, the same way that, and it's the same neo-Nazis, this guy, Thomas Rousseau, he's in photos at Charlottesville. Um, the same neo-Nazis that were in Vanguard America, which is the organization responsible for the death of Heather Heyer, um, they're, they're still operating out in the open. They do these like flash mob events where they'll get, you know, 150 of them from around the country showed up in Philadelphia this year. They got run out of town by like five black guys. Uh, who were pissed off seeing a bunch of neo-fascists in in, uh, in their city. But, <laughs> you know, when those kids, and they are kids, get ready to start shooting, it's going to be a bad day. And, you know, when they invade a town like Philadelphia and the local law enforcement doesn't know what to do, they pulled over these, these moving trucks filled with Patriot Front members um, and they didn't do anything with them. They didn't take them out of the trucks. You know, they took them out of the trucks, had them sit on a curb and then let them go. They didn't take their identification. They didn't record anything. Meanwhile, you know, these, these kids have been training for group violence. They post videos of it online, training for group violence, using things like smoke grenades to cover, uh, to, to obscure the fact that they're beating the shit out of somebody like, you know, 12 of them against one guy, you know, and, and Philly cops just let them go. They're the biggest problem right now because they can assemble, you know, scores of them can show up in a city, march through through uh, the middle of town 
and the cops on the local level think, oh, they're waving American flags. They're they're on our side. Well, January 6th should should have been a wake up call for cops across the country. They don't back the blue. These motherfuckers hate cops and they will kill a cop if given the chance. You know, every one of them are wannabe cop killers. So, you know, again, I'm not being kept up at night by these kids because, you know, uh, like I mailed every one of this kid's uh, Thomas Rousseau's neighbors, (laughs) uh, you know, a, a, a document that showed a picture of his house and what his car looks like and that that he was a neo-nazi so everyone who lives within a quarter mile of him got that in the mail right after the election i'm not afraid of that but cops ought to be because i'm not the target i'm a white guy you know i i got tattoos a beard a bald head i blend in with these people but if you're a cop you know that you, you're a target great well it looks like it looks looks like i'm gonna have to grow a beard shave my head and um Get a couple of tats, but Chris, let me thank you. It's not going to make my parents too happy, but you know, uh, I may have to do that anyway. But Chris, let me thank you for your time. Let me thank you for your service to this country, um, you know, in our military, and thank you for what you're doing in order to keep us all apprised of this um, this latent danger that exists in our Thanks, country. Man. So thank I, you. I appreciate the opportunity to share this with your audience, and we'll, you'll be back. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And now for today's mea culpa. In listening to Chris Goldsmith, I was immediately transported back to that terrible day 10 months ago as the whole nation watched as our capital was overrun and desecrated by a mob of fucking racist lunatics. And while some 650 rioters have been arrested and brought to justice, their imprisonment, while necessary, feels somehow unjust as Donald Trump and those who spread his lies and violent political rhetoric remain untouched by accountability. Goldsmith research shows how easy it is to radicalize someone online. Once they fall down the rabbit hole of far-right conspiracy, They're at the mercy of unscrupulous politicians and media who manipulate them for their own benefit. This paradigm undoubtedly led to the storming of the Capitol and has also led to the barrage of death threats and intimidation lobbed at election officials across the country. Our basements have become the new recruitment centers for right-wing zealots, neo-Nazis and other extremists. Trump and his ilk have tapped into this and made it part of their larger MAGA army. Without fear of reprisal, they will continue to recruit and send these men and women on missions of violence that end in their death or imprisonment while Trump raises vast wads of money saying it's all a fucking lie. That's the pattern. People have been misled over and over, tipping over into violence of actions or language. The mob mentality displayed at the Capitol has a mirror online where Trump supporters and Trump himself stoke similar fury and encourage similar anger. Part of this impulsive derives from the right's casual use of violent imagery in American politics. This week, Representative Paul Gosar, a fervent Trump supporter, shared a video on social media in which he was depicted murdering Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. If Gosar, like Trump, escapes accountability, this violent political rhetoric will only continue to build. We know what happens next because we already watched the violence erupt at the Capitol. 
The GOP and Trump have blood on their hands and they are using ordinary Americans to do their bidding. Is the next Manchurian candidate lurking somewhere in a basement waiting to shoot and kill? I hope this never comes to pass, but unless we stop this bloody cycle, history will be doomed to repeat itself over and over and over again. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. Oh, <laughs>